namaskar to everyone because we are going to talk about bhagwan krishna today so let's begin with om namo bhagavate vasudevaya om namo bhagavate vasudevaya om namo bhagavate vasudevaya and i will add something that one of my gurus so if you look at the om namo bhagavate vasudevaya it is a they call it 12 akshari or 12 akshari mantra and uh, one of my gurus uh, felt like adding something to it so he added purushottamaya at the end so the way he used to chant and uh, after i became aware of it i also chanted that way which is om namo bhagavate vasudevaya purushottamaya so now that uh, 12 akshari mantra now becomes a 18 akshari mantra like just that 18 parvas of mahabharat krishna charitra okay and brief biography or brief brief biographical summary of bhagwan krishna the details i want to give them to you right at the beginning okay so when krishna was here more than 7500 years ago his life span and we are going to discuss that as a part of his biography he was born in 5633 bc and his mahanirvan parinirvan his passing away that occurred in 5525 bc okay so that's the time period quick information about me now people always ask this question so i thought i will try to answer it in one particular way today i always do it in few different ways why should we bother to know history after all it is something that is done now we should look at the future or we should look at the present absolutely but to understand our present to solve the problems of our present circumstances and to ensure that we don't make the mistakes that were done in the past we do the course correction and we do better than what people might have done it in the past we learn from their actions something else if someone wants to make you a slave the first thing they are going to do is destroy your own understanding of your history and so i am putting here a quote from george orwell most of you would know the name if not hey these days everyone has a smartphone so just type his name you will find his quotes his books get busy reading understanding comprehending his quote the most effective way to destroy people a destroy a civilization destroy a nation destroy a group of people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history and that is why this effort is very important to understand our history in a very unbiased fashion just because it is our history we cannot be biased about it and through this presentation also i would like to provide some insights let's begin with the birth of krishna when was krishna born it was the lunar month of shravan everyone who uses indian calendar knows the month of shravan that's when he was born the tithi was vadya ashtami the nakshatra now once you say shravan and vadya ashtami you truly don't need to say the nakshatra of course the nakshatra can change plus minus 1 2 uh, but we also know the nakshatra description it was a rohini nakshatra and 
the season now that might be surprised to some of you the season was grishma rutu what does grishma rutu means the season of summer the date was 17th 18th june 5633 bc now why am i giving you two dates well one thing is because when any time you want to talk about the tithi okay there is always a potential error of plus minus one day because what was the tithi what was the nakshatra at the time time of the sunrise but that is not the reason why i'm giving you these two dates usually that is also reason why a historical researcher especially in the indian context might give you two dates next to each other but remember the timing when krishna was born he was born right at the midnight and the way we understand the day change in our times at least it's right at midnight right and therefore i have given so it's a midnight between the 17th and 18th of june based on a julian reference calendar 5633 bce now shravan mas and vadyashtami everyone knows grishma rutu it may be a surprise for some of you if not i mean that's interesting too then you are already up to date but i want to explain that it was a grishma rutu because number of you would be familiar with this story which come from another puran bhagavat puran it's not in the harivansha puran it's not in the mahabharat but in bhagavat puran if you remember the story that vasudev is taking krishna and crossing across yamuna okay so just take that story out of your mind right now we are going to follow here just look at the reference from harivansha puran and if you still have a question why not the story from a bhagavat puran make a note of it to ask that question to me during the question answer session what was the situation in the 6th millennium bce that is 6000 bce through 5000 bce right middle of that 6th millennium bce notice when it was the month of shravan vadyashtami the season is decided by the position of the sun so if you see this earth at the center sun going around the earth as seen from the earth and in a indian calendar we divide the seasons into six different seasons so at the time of krishna's birth the sun was in the area of a grishma rutu so it was a grishma rutu okay it was not a heavy rain and it was not like vasudeva crossing through a flooding yamuna as has stated in the harivamsha these these descriptions are from harivamsha puran in fact do you know what the descriptions are saying these are beautiful perfect descriptions of the grishma rutu the 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 narrator of harivamsha is describing as the events related to krishna janma uh, he says the area was dry you know the the trees were cut or trees were being cut and they were piled up you know at the borders between the different villages which is to say outside the village okay and as vasudev is walking with krishna or to take krishna to gokul okay or when he is returning his feet are getting into a dry dust and also dried cow dung karisha kirna vasudham okay so it's a season of a grishma rutu the trees are being cut they are being piled up many times they are done it for a um, for agriculture purposes uh, at least the area i grew up it's a perfect thing that is done year after year 
here says Kentucky water sankulam in uh, my part where I grew up, it's called covered. Okay, essentially means leaves and branches. And Vasudev is walking through the dry land through dust, and his feet are sometimes getting into dried cow dung. There is no rain to be seen. Okay, so this perfectly matches with 6th millennium BC and Shravana Masa. Vadyashtami. Vadyashtami is not an issue, but a Shravana Masa. Okay. Now, how do we say that the sun's position is here? Exactly opposite would be the full moon. And if we note down the nakshatra of the full moon, so that is where? From Shravana, Dhanishta, Shatabhishya, Purva, Bhadrapada, Uttara, Bhadrapada, in that region, in the area of a Shravana Masa. Okay, let's go further. Now, let's talk about the lifespan of Bhagwan Krishna. Now, if you ask uh, even the folks on this uh, particular presentation, whoever is attending today, and if I don't show you this slide, I'm sure we will get different answers. Well, why do we get different answers? Because there are different estimates done by various people, and they are there in our ancient Indian narratives. Why I'm stating this, it is very important that we understand just because we read something in one particular ancient Indian Grantha, immediately to jump and start saying that is the thing or that is the answer or that is the only answers and other answers are wrong is basically very foolish. That answer may be true. That answer may not be true. Okay, we have to, we can start with the Shraddha because somebody has thought about it and has entered that information in our Grantha. But then we have to make use of all the evidence available from other Grantha, something that is empirically available. So let's look at the quick scenario here. We have a range from somewhere from a 100 years all the way to 125 years. And I'm sure you have heard these names. Quickly, let's look at them. Where does this number 125 comes from? It comes from Srimad Bhagavad Puran. Okay. Where does this number 116 comes from? It is an indirect inference with a lot of interpretations. Okay. From a Chandogya Upanishad, where there is a discussion of Ghora Angiras with a Devaki Putra Krishna. We are not going to go into the details, but I, I'm just mentioning it. So that if you are curious, if you individually are curious, you can go to Chandogya Upanishad and start studying it and see what that discussion is. Obviously, I have done, I have studied that discussion, but that will be a digression. So that's where that 116 number with some interpretation has been thought by some people as the longevity, as the time lifespan of Krishna. I will start from the other side. Vishnu Purana mentions more than 100 years, but that's all it says. Uh, one great researcher, I mean, uh, researcher par excellence. And in this particular field of uh, antiquity of Indian uh, civilization research, I consider him one of my gurus. Okay. Uh, amazing person passed away a few years ago, has done tremendous work. Uh, I don't, uh, I cannot think of anyone in last 50 years who comes anywhere close to the kind of research he has done. Now, that doesn't mean everything he says is always right, but because that's the nature of our research. Okay, we have to go through in the fashion of Vade Vade Jayate Tatvabodha. He estimated that Krishna's lifespan was 101 year. And then Madhvacharya, uh, one of just like Ramanujacharya, Madhvacharya, Shankaracharya, Madhvacharya in his book Mahabharat Tatparya Nirnay, based on his study, Okay, or maybe even his disciples, okay, so studying together, uh, uh, he has stated 
or that particular grantha mahabharat tatpare nirnay states that krishna lived for 107 years now i am studying this subject for more than 30 years and if you go to my blog site you will find actually the blogs that will say krishna was 125 years old and not that necessarily i am agreeing with it but i am stating why i am saying that and where is the reference then i have also written a blog where krishna's age was estimated to be 116 i have also written a blog where krishna's age was lifespan was estimated to be 101 today i am going to tell you because those you can read those blogs and those blogs will always be there on my site uh, today i am going to tell you that based on all the research that is available to me today most up to date research 107 years makes total sense and i'm going to show you the evidence also okay so let's go further that 107 years stated by uh, srila madhvacharya okay he was he established the udupi krishna mandir and uh, the dvaita vaishnava sampradaya okay brahma uh, brahma dvaita sampradaya or brahma sampradaya okay I, please uh, forgive me if i'm not stating the name correct this is the verse okay from this mahabharata tatparya nirnay upadishyam param jnanam uddhavayamu pashramam badarkhakyam prapayitva sapta mabdam shatottaram the last two last words like the last uh, one fourth is important sapta mabdam shatottaram 107 years okay he lived for 107 years that is the reference now in order to put together krishna's biography this is what we need to do because mahabharat has many descriptions about krishna but not much information when he was very young not all the activities of krishna are there in the mahabharat and therefore in fact vasudev felt like writing a harivamsha which is considered a appendix okay khila parva it is called a appendix to mahabharata then of course krishna's descriptions are also found in the bhagavat puran vishnu puran padma puran uh, and many other puranas so to put together the uh, biographical details uh, i am taking references as they make sense for a consistent picture of krishna's biography now this is a brief biography number of stories number of events in krishna's life that most of us are aware of i'm not necessarily going to discuss them because that won't be like a 40 minute talk that can go on forever this is from harivamsha puran where what uh, harivamsha puran tells us is that krishna lived in this one particular place okay so we will call this uh, vraja gokula okay and that area like a vrindavan you would have heard what uh, harimosha tells us is that krishna lived in vraja up until he was 7 years old then there is a description of uh, yashoda and uh, nanda they ch they changing their location along with other cowherds i am not going to go into the reasoning why they felt the need to change it okay uh i would encourage people to read harivamsha puran so but this is the information that he was there for 7 years into vraja and then they moved not that far away that they could have moved to the new area which would be called either gokul or vrindavan i'll just leave it that to you uh, for additional research then i'm going to jump and tell you something else now for example 
now if you want to know what happened next in krishna's life especially with a, a chronological marker like a seven years when he was born then seven years when he moved and now we get a reference now this reference comes from bhagavad puran it is not there in harivamsha meaning the exact age of krishna when krishna killed kamsa however how krishna killed kamsa what happened before krishna killed kamsa those wonderful descriptions also occur in harivamsha and also in bhagavad puran so uh, what uh, bhagavad puran is telling us is that krishna lived in with nanda yashoda until he was 11 years old and this is the time when he killed kamsa okay so keep that in mind zero i mean when he is born then seven and then 11 just a quick uh, words there and we will use this uh, many times it's something interesting to know not surprising what shrimad bhagavat puran shukla goswami or whoever is narrating that particular portion of bhagavat puran is saying it says durbhago durbhago batalokoyam he says now we so much enjoy krishna's past times we enjoy krishna's biography and all his deeds um and we say krishna is a bhagwan but how unfortunate in this is this world and especially the yadu dynasty that when krishna was actually there 7500 years ago not many recognized the divinity in him even the people yadus some yadus i mean many yadus who were very close to him now that we something we can relate to right many of the pers- i mean in our family also some person or our friends when that person passes away we start appreciating that person okay um so but in krishna's time you know right you know jarasandha and shishupal and many people uh, duryodhana and karna and everyone but many people basically trying to put him down right so in that context is saying durbhago batalokoyam it's very unfortunate that the people even forget the enemies but even the people close to him did not appreciate his divinity did not i mean what a valuable opportunity they had okay so we will just use that somewhere if we need to use it okay now let's talk about uh, krishna's killing kamsa now before that i just gave you a date of uh, krishna's birth 17 18 june 56 33 bce and because you are on the mute probably you couldn't ask me like how do i how did i arrive at that but remember we in a, our indian sanatan tradition we when we make a statement we have to say based on what evidence or based on what background knowledge we are saying it we cannot be careless and casual and just claiming something but not give the source or not explain the logic behind it now if you are familiar with my research usually i try to bring evidence from different disciplines of science we you might have heard the term like a triangulation or quadrangulation from other sources in, also from me so i just wanted to give you a visual picture of what the triangulation is and just use that as a metaphor as we go through krishna charitra so what does the triangulation means just one piece of information may not be sufficient we might make an error but when multiple pieces of information starts coming together our confidence into whatever that particular evidence is telling us goes up we feel more confident that this appears to be true okay because our goal is to get towards the truth so how does a triangulation in a visual form may look like okay just for fun so imagine these three points and if you don't like math don't don't worry okay you don't need to know anything but if you love math you are going to like it 
what are these three points remember we say two points define the line okay and three points define the curve but what kind of curve okay so just look at it so if we have three points a b c they are non-collinear this is a mathematical term what does that mean they are not in a one straight line do you know what is something fascinating about it if you have three non-collinear points of course in the same plane but it doesn't matter three points you can create a plane there right they define one very unique curve of course you can draw all kinds of curves through these three points but there is one type of curve that is very unique because only one answer exists okay again if you don't understand math just ignore it this is some some fun some digression so let's start with krishna killing kamsa so krishna is born now krishna is 11 years old that is when krishna killed kamsa that's what our ancient narratives tell us then of course many years go by a lot of activities happen and the time of mahabharat war when krishna plays a significant role as everyone knows including bhagavad gita and then 36 years after the mahabharat war uh, krishna passed away and that is the same time the, the krishna's dwarka was flooded by the sea waters and it was completely destroyed and it went inside the ocean okay so think of these as the three key points so he's born in what 56 33 bc remember i didn't tell you anything as to what the evidence was i just said take this on a shraddha as an example now he was 11 years old that information we do have so assuming let's say for a minute that krishna was indeed born 56 33 bc then when was he 11 years old in 56 22 bc when krishna killed kamsa then 55 61 bc number of you would be familiar with my work if not i'm going to show you the books at the end of it you can read those books there is a, so much evidence that 55 61 bc is the year of mahabharat war and mahabharat uh, tells us that 36 years after the mahabharat war flooding and destruction of dwarka took place so if 55 61 bc plus 36 takes us to 55 25 bc and now the question do we have a evidence for these events okay including krishna's birth well i'm going to tell you the evidence that is available exists for these three points and that's what i was referring at least in this context the triangulation of evidence okay bringing together to make a beautiful solid scientific logical case for krishna's lifespan okay starting point as well as the ending point so if you connect those points guess what you find the midpoints now just just for fun enjoy this if you don't like math just have fun guys if you love math you're going to love this and you already know it i'm sure find the middle points of those two lines okay draw perpendiculars there what you're going to get is the triangle put that as a center and what are you going to find okay you're going to find a circle this is a unique circle if you give those three points as they are a b c you essentially create a unique circle there is only one circle if you create another circle it will be concentric it will exactly overlap this circle this is just for fun okay now what we are going to do is we are going to look through the evidence remember what i said i just made a statement krishna was born 17th 18th june 56 33 bc of course the month of shravan vadyashtami rohini nakshatra that is not difficult to match we can match that thing shravan month vadyashtami and rohini practically every year not an issue okay but why 56 33 bce 
Okay, of course, I started with Mahabharata year and went backward and forward to uh, the Dwarka flooding. But here I'm telling you story in a linear fashion beginning with his birth. So now, because we have a description, so he was 11 years old when he killed Kamsa. That year comes to 5622 BC. Now, do we have any evidence in any of our ancient uh, Indian narratives? The answer is yes. We have a lot of evidence, but very empirically, scientifically testable evidence, five specific pieces of evidence in Harimausha at the time, which is to say just before Krishna killed Kamsa. So Andaka, one of the individual of the same Yadu dynasty, the broad Yadu dynasty, he comes to Kamsa and Kamsa, of course, you know the story that Kamsa is like paranoid, you know, that's Devaki's, Devaki Putra is going to kill him. So he's killing all Devaki's children. And Krishna and Balrama are saved. Now, Andaka comes to Kamsa and he says, your time is coming closer. I don't see good signs. Okay. I see all kinds of interesting things and I'm going to tell you. So he tells a lot of other things. Now, many of the other things are not objectively testable, not testable in an empirical fashion. In a science, we can only test something that can be tested in an empirical fashion. Okay. That is empirical in nature. So there are five observations. The first observation is astronomy observation where Andak is telling uh, Kamsa, he's saying, look, I see a lot of Nimitta, a lot of signs. Okay. The bad times are coming for you. And one thing he says, he says, Vakram Angarakash Chakre Vyaharanti Kharadvija. He says, Angarak, which is a Mars, has gone Vakra and it's riding the cart of two donkeys that is pulled by two donkeys. Now, remember, all our ancient literature, especially our Itihasa, like Mahabharata, Harivamsha, and Ramayana, they use these metaphors, they use these analogies to do what? To capture the terrestrial events into celestial reality. And many times you will find in this Grantha, the celestial reality is sometimes captured as if it's like a terrestrial story, okay, a metaphorical story of Kritikas or uh, uh, all the nakshatras getting angry with the moon, that moon spends more time with the Rohini and so on. So in this case, what is important is that Mars was going Vakri, whatever the Vakri meant, on a cart of two donkeys. Now, who are they? If we go to this 5622 BC, the Mars is going Vakri. I'm not going to take you into te technical detail, but I'll simply tell you that Vakri, during the time of Mahabharata, which is 7,500 years ago, did not mean retrograde. So if anyone tells you that Vakri means retrograde in the Mahabharata times, they are not telling you the truth. How do I know that? There are total of three specific observations in Mahabharata one here in a Harivamsha and in every time it means a specific thing which is not we are going to go into a technical detail but I have discussed it elsewhere in my YouTube videos therefore I'm not going into technical detail but it's very consistent and it is not retrograde okay so first reference and what is that Vakra I'll just briefly tell you it means a planet crossing the ecliptic from one side to another so this line, yellow, sort of a green line, if you see where my cursor is, that is the path of the sun. And if you notice, Mars is right on the ecliptic. It is going from the south to the north. The next thing it's going to do is it's going to cross and go in this direction. Okay, just one simple observation. Now, don't make a big deal about this observation other than the greatness of Vakra. 
there are four more observations and i'm going to tell you the most wonderful observation the last in this one the next one harimosha also mentions that there was a solar eclipse again remember solar i mean solar and lunar eclipse diameter doesn't not a big deal but the fact is that harimosha mentions that at that time when andaka is talking to kamsa there was a eclipse and there was a eclipse that we can show with uh, astronomy knowledge the next one it says uh, again andaka is telling to kamsa esha goro grahaswatim mullikhan mullikhan ke gabastibi okay some evil planet goro graha okay scary planet is afflicting swati nakshatra swati and for that particular date again we can show that the ketu you know one of the rahu and ketu these are considered evil planets and the, in the mahabharata times or ramayana times they were only known as rahu the ketu was not used as it is used in our times okay but in 7500 years ago at least in the itihasa narration ketu was not used in the sense of node of the uh, node of the moon but yes they both are considered i mean swarabhanu that was the word used many times okay or rahu that was the word used and again we can show that the node of the moon in this case ketu was there near nakshatra swati one more before we get to the exciting observation this is not again a big deal all that i'm showing you can happen every year but what i'm going to show you next it has not happened again ever in the last 10000 years except the instance i'm going to show you and it perfectly matches harivamsha so here it also says uh, andaka is telling kamsa budena pashchima sandhya vyapta ghorenu tejasa that the mercury could be seen in the west now what's a big deal not really a big big deal but those who are in astronomy do know that it is not it is important it's not that easy because mercury most of the time we don't get to see it because it's very close to the sun and so where do we get to see it either we get to see before sunrise or we get to see it after sunset and we get to see it for a very short time so if somebody is claiming something this is something very good to check okay to falsify so mercury was seen in the west which means the mercury should be Uh, east of the sun and once sun this is the horizon line horizontal line once sun goes below can you still see see the mercury up in the sky if the answer is yes then this statement is valid okay these are relatively simple statements in astronomy great but next one is the fascinating one and as i said this has not happened again okay in the last i mean this has not happened ever other than this instance in last 10000 years period what does it say again andaka is telling kamsa ketuna dhuma ketostu nakshatrani trayodasha bharanyadini bhinnani nano yanti nishakram he says kamsa my dear kamsa did you notice what happened this big dhuma ketu okay a comet is covering 13 nakshatra nakshatrani trayodasha now do you know what is the significance of 13 nakshatra the total nakshatras are 27 and that completes the whole circle you know around the earth so 13 nakshatra is at any given time the entire visible portion of the sky is 13 nakshatra and andaka is saying this comet is so huge in the sense as seen from the earth it is covering all the 13 nakshatras now remember comets comes relatively frequently different comets there are hundreds of comets but when they come uh, that's called apparition 
how they look, how broad area of the sky they cover changes. Many times the comets come only through the binocular, you can see through it or through telescopes. This one was of course, just visible. It was covering 13 nakshatras. Not only that, something else. It says, Bharanya Deni Bhinnani Nanu Yanti Nishakaram. It started its expanse from the nakshatra Bharani. And you know where it is here in this case? This is Ashwini and right here is the nakshatra Bharani. Right from there, the brightest spot of the comet. And then it went all the, its tail went all the way covering the entire sky. Just imagine how scary that picture would have been. And that's what it is describing. And that's what we can show to be true exactly 22nd March. 5622 BC. We don't see that again in this particular formulation as described in Harivamsha. Okay. This is an extremely powerful evidence. It says to the extent the path of the moon is totally blinded. You know, the moon, we cannot keep track of the moon because we can't exactly notice the nakshatra. It is this comet is that bright. Okay. So I did not give you any evidence for its birth year 5633 BC, but we are going backwards. So we know the ex wonderful evidence when. Krishna Kilkamsa, we also know that he was 11 years old. And now we can go backward and say when Krishna was born. That's how actually I figured it out. So I just shared with you astronomy evidence of Harivamsha and Bhagavad Puran. Okay. Then what happens? Now, after Krishna killed uh, Kamsa, Krishna did not sit on the throne. Okay. He took away uh, Ugrasen from who was put in the prison by Kamsa and put him on the uh, as a, as a king, okay, back on the throne. Now, Krishna and Balram spent few years in Mathura, okay. This is Prapta Yavana Dehastu, okay. So I just let's take that as a sixteen years, you know, from eleven to now five years they spent just having fun. And now Vasudev started thinking, you know what? I mean, they are bright kids, but they have not gone to school. <laughs> Maybe it's a time to send them to school. You know, they had a lot of fun. So he sends them to Sandipani Muni, okay. And uh, you know the story of a Krishna meeting Sudama there. Okay, these, these are the paintings done by my very good friend, you know, Zai, Zai Alamji from United Kingdom. Okay, the, so you know the story of Krishna and Sudama. So beautiful paintings, enjoy them. Krishna is very, very sharp kid. Okay, and he learns things very fast at the ashram of Sandipani. The descriptions we get from Harivamsha, it says, Aho Ratra, okay. By studying day and night. Don't we see that description? Sometimes who is studying very hard? Yeah. He became expert in all the 64 arts. Okay. If you see there, Chatushashtya. That's why he's also called Purna Avatar. Okay. One of the reason is he was expert in everything. Okay. He, he can do a very good dance, the Garba dance, <laughs> right? He can do a good Rundavan dance. He can play the flute. He's a musician. He can wield the bow and arrow. I mean, if you notice, it, he was considered as good or even better or as good as Arjuna and Satyaki and Bhima, right? And Abhimanyu and so on. But he was also good with the club. And we'll talk about the club, okay? He was good with the chakra, Sudarshan chakra, but many other chakra. He was a good diplomat. He learned all the arts in a very short time. All the Vedas, okay? Chatushpade, Dhanurvede, all the Upavedas, okay? Achirena, in a very, very short time. Now, the two types of degrees used to be awarded, okay? And that has to do with the Shraddha and Pradnya, okay? The one degree, so say if you are not a bright kid, if you think, okay? Then you will, but if you follow all the discipline in a, a Gurukul, you will get the degree and it was called Vratasnatak, 
Okay, so you are a disciplined kid, and that discipline will help you in the life. The second degree, and you could this was a dual degree program. In principle, you could get both degrees. The second degree, okay, was called Vidyasnatak, meaning you have become expert into all these various arts that you decided to do. Krishna was an extremely bright individual. I mean, that's why he's avatar there. And he received those both Vratasnatak and Vidyasnatak. Uh, so Guru gave the blessings. Now the time comes for Guru Dakshina. Now Guru is not asking for it. Now Krishna goes to Sandipani and says, how should I repay the debt? You know, I mean, all that wonderful things that you have done for me. And uh, Sandipani Rishi says, something has happened in my life now that you ask. My son was taken away by some individual and I don't even know his whereabouts. If you can help me find him and bring him back, that will be great. So Krishna and Balaram uh, start doing their investigation. Okay, finally find out where the Sandipani's son is, who has taken it. And the information, again, again Harimamsha tells us that it was taken by an individual called Panchajanna. Okay, and that individual was across the oceans, across the sea. So Krishna, Balaram go across the oceans. We don't know exact direction and whatnot, but they go there and they actually free Sandipani's son from this Panchajanya. In the process, they actually also acquire the count shell of Panchajanya, that is that Pachajanya, you know, Pachajanya, Rushi, Keshe, Devadatta, Dhananjay. Each of these people who have their count shell and makes a specific sound and they have the names. That's how Krishna received the Panchajanya count shell, okay, the Shankha. Okay, so that's the story that we have. This information is not there in Mahabharata. It comes from Harivamsha. That's why we quoted it. So now Krishna's education is complete. And then many things happen, but we are going to fast forward, okay, just to keep up with time and also uh, the scope as a brief biography. Now time comes for the Mahabharata war. Most of you know all the descriptions that you want to know about the Mahabharata war. Okay, so my goal is not to go into the descriptions. But when did the Mahabharata war happen? Again, if you have seen my other lectures, if you have read my books and blogs and videos and whatnot, you know it, 5561 BC. Now, uh, this, that's a year. But what is the specific time? The 18 days are from 16 October through 2nd November, 5561 BCE. Please pay attention because I'm going to tell you something more as a bonus material that comes out of this. Now, how old was Bhagwan Krishna at this time? Remember, 5633, you can do the math, around 72 years old. We also know that the Arjun was almost of the same age as Krishna. How do we know that? Just from some of the softer descriptions from Mahabharata. When Krishna comes to meet Pandavas, say in a Vanvas, and this happens multiple times, anytime they, they meet, Krishna meets with the Pandavas. This is a typical scenario. Krishna goes and does his namaskar, okay, obeisances to Yudhishthir and also to Bhima. Why? Because they both are elder to Krishna. Then Krishna always hugs Arjun because they are of the same age. Okay, doesn't have to be exactly same. And then Nakul and Sadev come and they do Namaskar, Vandan, okay, uh, to Krishna because they are younger. So that gives us an approximate idea that Krishna and Arjun are of the same age. They both were around 72 years at the time of Mahabharata war. So just remember that information. Also remember the days, 16 October through 2nd November. Now, if you are already familiar, you don't have these questions. But what evidence is there? Okay, 
I mean, huge. I mean, we can discuss this forever. I did like a few day long workshop at Chinmaya a few years ago. And uh, after like five days, we were still discussing only Mahabharata astronomy evidence and we are not done with it. You know? So there is, I mean, Mahabharata text is super rich in evidence of all kinds. I'm going to show you in a second, but there are 300 plus astronomy pieces of evidence. And if you put them together in a logical and scientific fashion, like solving a jigsaw and a crossword puzzle, like a complex jigsaw plus crossword puzzle together, it takes you to 5561 BCE. There are 100 plus specific references to river Saraswati. River Saraswati is in the flux, you know, in all different shapes. Somewhere it is flowing beautifully, other places it has gone under the sand. Vinashan is already there. It's no longer meeting to the ocean. It is split into different things. All those descriptions also match for 6 millennium BC. And what about other evidence? Multidisciplinary evidence, just a number I put 50. Actually, you cannot count the number of data points that you have. Okay. So this is just a, a wonderful picture that gives you a summary. And I just want to point out, you can read the whole thing. I want to point out a couple of things. Out of this, if you take away, okay, the genealogy of the kings and sages, which is what? This was the king and his son was A and a son of A was B and son of B was a C and so on and so forth. Okay, This helps us understand relative chronology of our historical events. Now, that is something that you cannot objectively test. What I mean by that is unless you have some objectively testable evidence of those individuals, it is a list. That's what you have. And it might say between these two kings, there were 300 years. We say, okay, if you say so, right, you can take it on a Shraddha. There is another evidence, which is a travel records, like the Greek Megasthenes and whatnot. They coming in the later times, talking to people in India and documenting whatever they wanted to know about India. Again, the descriptions are there, but we don't know how to objectively test it, meaning we have to either trust Megasthenes, uh, Plutarch and whoever was copying that. The reason I mentioned those is if you just take a couple of those out, there are like, I don't know how many, 20 plus different disciplines of science that are listed here. Okay, and all of them, if the evidence exists, and as Krishna tells in Bhagavad Puran, Shruti Pratyaksham Aitiyam Anumanam Chatushtayam, if you can do quadrangulate, see, just like looking at a piece of rock or looking at some object and say doing a carbon dating, and it tells me when that, how old is that object, that is Pratyaksha and Anuman. That is great information, but that doesn't tell you anything about the history. You also need what? You also need Shruti. And you also need itihasa. You need the uh, you need the historical narrative to connect with those objects. Okay. So if you do this quadrangulation, every single evidence, if it exists, is going to take you to 5561 BC. One quick point. Now people say, uh, I don't know where, I mean, which school they went to, but they will say, okay, so that's astronomy is fine, this is fine, river Saraswati is fine, oceanography is fine. Where is archaeology evidence? I, I cannot trust anything unless I see archaeology evidence. And I wonder which school they go to or which school they went. Because as I showed you, if you pull those two pieces of evidence, like say genealogy of kings and sages and say travel records, everything else that you are seeing here, 20 plus different disciplines of sciences, hard sciences, even if you remove linguistics, because there can be a lot of mumbo, mumbo jumbo sometimes. Uh, so it will be like limited to 20. Guys, this is archaeology. 
Okay, if you don't understand this is archaeology, go back to school. This is archaeology, except unless you remove a couple of those or maybe maximum of three or four. Something beautiful, you can connect Ramayana with the Mahabharata, Mahabharata with the Ramayana. How many of you know that all the Mahabharata heroes know Ramayana very well? While they're fighting, they're quoting something from Ramayana, you know, while they're describing, hey, this is how I'm going to kill you. Or hold on, why do you say that? Don't you know what Indrajit did? And so on and so forth. Or do you remember what Hanuman did to um, somebody else, you know, from the Ravana side? Or what Rama did to Ravana? Okay, all these uh, very specific uh, descriptions of Ramayana are known to Mahabharata war. And that's also helps us because Ramayana has to be before Mahabharata war and so on and so forth. Okay, enough evidence, guys, enough evidence. I mean, on a Shraddha, you can say that, yeah, Mahabharata war happened in 5561 BC, but I'm, I don't want you to stop there. No, never. In fact, you know what Bhagwan Patanjali says? How, how, how your journey should be is a Shraddha Virya Smriti Samadhi Pradnya Purvaka Itarisham. Forget the word Itarisham. Shraddha Virya Smriti Samadhi Pradnya Purvakam. The journey from Shraddha, think of that as a Vratasnatak, just a discipline, all the way to Vidyasnatak is a Pradnya. That is the journey. How do you do it? Shraddha Virya Praves, Shraddha Virya Smriti. Okay, other literature. Samadhi, which is what? Dhyana dharana samadhi gives you a samyak jnana, a very unbiased attitude to analyze anything. And pradnya, sharp intellect, that is going to take you there. So you can take it with a shraddha and stop there, 55, 61 BC, that's perfectly fine. But there is no reason why you should stop there. You should take this journey to pradnya. Go through each of these evidence that I have presented through many different ways and become familiar with it. Okay, so let's move forward. At that time, Krishna is 72 years old. When I posted this slide uh, just this morning, um, one great uh, individual, he he's a Shigra Kavi, you know, he wrote this. <laughs> okay, this was, I think, in Twitter. Vividhangi, so looking at that picture that I showed you on the previous page, Vividhangi Bahusparshi Divya Chakshu Pradayini Jnana Bhandara Samsuchi Kala Drushti Prabodhini. Okay, you need a Divya Drushti. Now, just like Sanjaya, you know, had from Vasa. Now, Divya Drushti doesn't just mean something magical. Actually, what does this mean? The intellect, you know, this is a Pradnya Chakshu. Just like a Divya Chakshu, it's a Pradnya Chakshu. Okay, it's a Tarka Shastra, Tantra Yukti. Okay, all that bringing it together. That is that Divya Chakshu. And then you can start understanding that evidence. And we'll see one evidence, example of that. Couple of bonuses I'm going to give you in this one. Kaliuga. Many people are wondering when Kaliuga ends. In the question answer, if you ask me the question, I'll give you my humble answer to that. But I can tell you when Kaliuga begins. This is a brilliant original work of a very young Dharma researcher, Indic researcher, Jivan Rao. Okay, and what he has shown, and I'm going to just briefly mention with evidence par excellence that Kaliuga began on the last day of the Mahabharata War. Kaliuga began on the 18th day of the Mahabharata war. Nakshatra was Pusha. This is based on evidence. And I'm going to show you how much evidence is there. And that day was 2nd November 5561 BC. That is the beginning of a Kaliuga as per the Mahabharata tradition, as per the Krishna tradition. Krishna is a part of Mahabharata. Krishna and a Mahabharata tradition. This is 2nd November 5561 BC is the first day of a Kaliuga period. Okay. All right. Now, do what evidence we have? Again, I'm just going to give you a short snapshot. 
But for example, I quoted uh, Madhvacharya or his book Mahabharat Tatparya Nirne. In uh, his that same book, he says, uh, I will not read the verse, but he says, when did the Kaliyuk begin? He says, Kaliyuk began on the day when Duryodhana was killed. And when was Duryodhana killed? Duryodhana was killed on the 18th and the last day of the war. Okay, very late in the day or in the afternoon, you can say, okay, late in the day. That's when uh, Bhima killed Duryodhana. So that's when Kaliyuga began. And of course, then he also says, but the true effect of Kaliyuga became visible only after Krishna left. And when did Krishna leave? 36 years after the Mahabharata war. That is what he's referring to, Shatri, Shabdam, Puna, Krishna. Okay. And that's, these are the descriptions. Again, you will find in the Bhagavad Puran and so on and so forth. And people make a chaos for no reason whatsoever, confusion and delusion. It's very, very clear. I'm not just saying Madhvacharya is saying it. Madhvacharya is making very clear that it started on the last day of the war when Duryodhana was killed. But Harivamsha is saying the same thing. Mahabharata is saying the same thing. Now, are these just one statement each? No. I would encourage you to read Jivan Rao's blog and also he's working on the book and all that and it will come out soon. He has got 100 plus evidence from the Mahabharata alone. Okay, from Harivamsha, from Bhagavad Puran, from Vishnu Puran, and from many other Puranas, Skanda Purana, Markandeya Purana, whatnot, plus uh, uh, this like Madhvacharya statement. Okay, all points to the last day of the war, 18th day of the war, Nakshatra Pusha, and therefore 2 November 5561 BC. Okay, so let's update our knowledge there. So now we have astronomy evidence, multidisciplinary evidence for the year of the Mahabharata war. We also learned something about the beginning of a Kaliyuga, 2nd November 5561 BC, the last day of the Mahabharata war. Okay, let's go further to the last point, Dwarka. This is a picture of a Dwarka as artists imagine it against the ocean, next to the ocean. In fact, it was an island. If you see the descriptions, I have given my other talks on the Sangam itself, like Krishna's Dwarka. Please listen to that. It was an island. Okay. There were bridges from Krishna to go to the land. Sorry, not Krishna, from Dwarka to go to the land. Okay. And a flooding and destruction of Dwarka is also at the same time when Krishna passed away. So therefore, I'm just quoting that another uh, the verse that i already showed from mahabharata parinirnaya of madhvacharya where krishna lived for 107 years so now let's do the math there 5633 bc minus 5525 bc it gives you 108 years which is more than 107 years the place where krishna passed away you know parinirvan mahanirvan whatever you want to call it is a place known as a bhalaka tirtha uh, this is in gujarat and i'm just showing you on the map this is not far from a place called Muladwarka. Now, Muladwarka is not Krishna's Muladwarka. Krishna's Dwarka is actually inside the ocean, okay, underwater. But when that was gone, of course, we always need to find a place to as a reference where Krishna's Dwarka was. So there is a place which is a beautiful spot because right from there, if you go straight into the sea, of course, in the southwest direction, that is exactly where you should look for Krishna. Again, I will, sorry, for Dwarka. I will encourage you to watch my Krishna's Dwarka talk for the details. But what I want to show you now is a quick evidence of uh, Dwarka flooding and how that perfectly matches with the lifespan of Krishna of 107-108 years. So flooding and destruction of Dwarka. Remember I told you that how you go from Shraddha, Virya, Smriti, Samadhi, Pradnya, that journey. It, it's a, I'm going to show you a beautiful triangulation of Tantra Yukti, Tarka Shastra and Vidyana Buddhi. And we need to do this for 
every single piece of evidence okay it's a must what you see here again i will not go into the technical details uh, i should uh, say my thanks to savitri mumukshiji for for bringing this paper to my attention it's a 2017 paper just pay attention if you love technical stuff if not you can kind of just enjoy the ride for next two three minutes but it's very fascinating what happens remember for last twenty thousand years the seawater is going up this seawater level was so low that water even when there was a tsunami or flood or something the water never went into this cave for a long time but seawater is rising for last twenty thousand years and I'm going to show you how much sudden rise was there in the seawater in 5525 BC when Dwarka was flooded and destroyed. This is not in Dwarka, guys. This is in Indonesia, okay, very close to India still, Aceh, Banda Aceh, okay, Aceh Banda, Sumatra Island, very close to Andaman Nicobar. So what happened is when the water level was going up, at some point, because ocean water is going, level is up, at some point when the tsunami came, finally that water could go over this cave sill and started depositing evidence, depositing evidence of uh, organic material. And so therefore in this particular cave that you're seeing in the picture, there is no evidence of any tsunami before 5525 BC. Think of that 7400, 7500 BC, that Mahabharata time. But after that, it retains all the evidence. Now, you know, this looks, this previous picture looks fancy, you know, and beautiful and clean. The real actual work, it's a lot of hard work and that looks like this, okay? And, you know, that's not fun, guys, okay? This needs a lot of tapasya, this needs a lot of uh, subject matter knowledge. So I'm going to see as, I'm going to see if, how, if I can simplify this. The simple point I will say is that from the time of the Dwarka flooding, Mahabharata war, and then Dwarka flooding, this particular cave in, uh, in Indonesia has saved the evidence of all the tsunamis, all the flooding and some special event. Something very interesting, if you follow the x-axis, so this is 7500 is that 5525 BC. But if you come here, this is very important guys, you pay attention because unfortunately, out of 130 different claims for Mahabharata, like half of them, like 60 plus, are unfortunately claimed in this middle area okay of 3000 bce so this is 5000 years ago which is like 3000 so this area what is something fascinating do you see something so yes there are these flood and tsunami records in the ocean until this point of 3500 bce but after that there are no records so there were no significant tsunamis or anything until you come to 1500, 1600 BCE. You understand? From 3500 BCE to 1600 BCE in the Indian Ocean, of course, on the east side in this case, there are no significant tsunami events. Very important to remember, okay? Especially those people who uh, very illogically claim the occurrence of Mahabharata into that 3000 BC area and even pretend to show evidence for Dwarka flooding. Okay, it's very, very interesting. Okay, but I'm going to show you something else. Now, why, why there are no events marked there? Well, there is the evidence coming from the Dwarka coast. This is from the Arabian Sea, Sindhu Sagar. This is this 55-25 BC, the arrow where I've done, and sudden 15 meter rise, which is to say 50 feet rise. Then what happened? Just after that Dwarka flooding, there was an additional 8 meter rise. And actually, ocean water went three meters above today's water levels. 
Okay. And therefore, that also explains why Dholavira or Lothal were ports sometime from 4000 BC or 5000 BCE until like 2000 BC. That is what the evidence says. And we understand why that is so. Now, ocean is not the only thing. There is also land changes. But the sea level was three plus meter on an average higher during that time than it is today. Actually, the water level went down afterwards. This is what I'm showing. This is a study from the West Coast, Dwarka and the Arabian Sea. You get uh, evidence from uh, Turkey for the sudden rise of ocean levels in 55-25 BCE. Now, those of you who love science again, look at those numbers, 1 through 9. These are specific scientific indicators, certain parameters that were measured. All of them pointing to sudden formation of a saltwater sea known as a Black Sea in 55-25 BC. So this was not a local event just on a Dwarka. This was a global event. And just to give you an uh, idea, how much evidence for 55-25 BC and where do we find it? Everywhere around the world. The people, the, those individuals who are not of an Indian background, okay, but somehow interested in an Indian history. They are bringing a lot of this evidence to my, my, to my attention. I'm just going to show you what I just shared. Aceh Banda, just notice the location of it. You know, this is a Sumatra Island, the tip of it. Andaman Nicobar is somewhere here. So that is the evidence I shared, that cave. Okay. Then Arabian Sea, the Dwarka evidence that I showed you, like a 23 meter rise in the 6th millennium BC, 15 and then 8 and 3 meters above. That is from the west coast. Okay, then Black Sea formation that I just showed you the nine parameters that is from Turkey, but there is no dearth of evidence. This is all archaeology evidence, guys. Okay, in case somebody is not still understanding, if you go to Caribbean, okay, the same uh, Professor Paul Blanchon, you know, who was doing PhD when I was doing a master's at University of Alberta in Canada, he looked at seven different locations in West Indies. Okay, now you're following cricket there, so you, everyone knows West Indies and showed that there was a sudden rise of 6.5 plus meters. That is what, 20 feet in 55, 25 BC, seven different locations. Evidence is everywhere. You can go to Pumpohar, the East Coast, a very recent research from Professor Somashekar Ramaswamy, showing sudden ingression of water all the way to Mayuram. Those of you who know Tamil Nadu, okay? Right now it is inside a land 10 feet, 20 kilometers. The water was all the way to Mayuram, and for next 2000 years, Mayuram was a seaport. Okay, that is the work of Professor Ramaswamy. Again, perfectly matches with 55 25 BC. But you can go as much as wherever you want. The Great Barrier Reef, you have evidence there of a sudden rise in around that 7,500 years ago. You go to Dogger Bank, UK, between Norway and uh, Scotland, you find the evidence. This is the evidence somebody brought to my attention very recently. If you go to the east coast of USA in Maine, you see the evidence. This is very old evidence. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of this evidence for last 15, 20 years, and some of them uh, that I was not aware, um, I'm learning through others. Huge evidence for 55, 25 BC. Let's summarize that. So we looked at the uh, astronomy evidence, we looked at astronomy evidence, multidisciplinary evidence for 5561 BC, and now oceanography, seismology. I did not discuss seismology. Oceanography, seismology evidence for 5525 BC from around the world and also from Dwarka. Quickly, last point, second bonus evidence. Okay, for a long time, now that once I, uh, once I determined 5561 BC as the year of Mahabharata war, 
I started researching and as any researcher should do, and many others have tried that like Professor uh, Dr. Vartak is a great example. I was trying to find the specific timings of other events of Mahabharat, other events of uh, Bhagwan Krishna's life. And uh, it comes as a sudden surprise, you know, by luck, by the grace of Bhagwan Vyasa. Unless there is a grace, you don't get the answer. Sometimes it takes uh, years, like decade or whatnot. So finally, this Khandavana Dahan, I could find that, determine the date of it. Again, it's related to Krishna, related to Mahabharata. So I just thought I'll mention it. Uh, that a year was 5590 BC. How do we figure this out? Just a quick fun thing. The reason I'm presenting this again is that you, a uh, number of you at least who are curious, and I get 200 plus emails every week, uh, maybe at least 25, 50 of them want to do original research like me, which is great but they have a very wrong idea of how, how original research is done. It takes long time and there is no guarantee of success, guys. Okay, so just to give you fun, how uh, as a fun way, fun example, how the research takes place, how you have to make use of all this Shraddha, Virya, Smriti, Samadhi, Pradnya, okay, to get to the answer and still be humble enough that you could be wrong, additional evidence may pop up and you should be willing to change. What it shows, this is a description of a Gandiva Dhanusha. Okay, the name of uh, Dhanusha of what Arjuna is carrying is a Gandiva, right? And so when he is giving away, when they are they are ready to go, uh, what you call the Prasthana Parva, okay, all five start walking in the Himalayas with Draupadi. That is when on the way he uh, gets rid of the Gandiva Dhanusha. He says its work is done. Okay, and so Brahma is coming there and all that story. So we know that is when is that. That is actually very same time, very close, just after, but same time as 5525 BC. After Krishna passed away, uh, they just quickly put Parikshit on the throne. Okay, Krishna's uh, grandson on the throne of Indraprastha, Parikshit uh, uh, on uh, Hastinapur, and they went for the Prasthan. Okay, so they gave it away. So we know when uh, Arjuna gave up his Gandiva Dhanusha. We also know just as a description, when he received it, he received it from a Varuna at the time of a Khandavana Dahan. Okay. And that is the time uh, he was, he actually received his chariot from Varuna also. Okay. The Gandiva Dhanusha also. And Varuna also gave Krishna Vajranabha Chakra, just like Sudarshan Chakra, he gave another Chakra, Vaj Vajranabha Chakra. And he also gave Krishna a, another club. Okay. Uh, like a named Komodaki. Okay. That's how he got the Komodaki. So maybe a lotus shape or something like this, you know, that's what he got. Now, somewhere uh, it also tells us this is the time uh, at the in the Virata Parva when everyone has gone outside the city and uh, Kauravas attack the Virata's kingdom and uh, only Uttara is there, Uttar, the prince, young prince Uttar, the princess Uttara and Arjun as a Brahannida. So Arjun goes with Uttara because Uttara is a young, right? And that is where the description comes and description says Arjuna is carrying this Gandiva for 65 years. Now, the reason I'm bringing this is how you, that is given there, that is a very statement, but you have to use your intellect, the context to interpret that information. And I'm going to give you two interpretation. For example, Dr. P.V. Vartak, uh, Padmakar Vishnu Vartak, what he did is, which is again a very interesting interpretation. He said, what does that mean? Is that Arjun was 65 years at that time, at the time of Go Grahana, you know, the Virata Parva event. And so 
a narrator is just saying arjuna is having gandiva for 65 years because that's what the statement says but remember arjuna did not get the gandiva from the time he was born he he got it from varuna only at the time of a uh, the khandavanadhan but if we take what uh, dr vartak interpreted and his his assumption is which is very interesting and believable he said look if you are a chemical engineer like i am a chemical engineer and let's say i uh, retire at 65 and somebody i am talking to someone and somebody challenges me on some chemical engineering thing and just to say uh, as a boast or something i'll say come on hold on stop i am a chemical engineer for 65 years i may say that when i'm 65 years old in reality i'm not a chemical engineer for 65 okay for 65 years when i'm 65 because i did not become chemical engineer when i was born so but he take it uh, vartak said so that's how people may talk in a real life and so what it, this refers to is that arjun was 65 years old and based on that he estimated krishna's age krishna's life span as 101 so he took 65 as arjun krishna is same as arjun remember i mentioned that and then this is the time of almost mahabharat war okay just just before so he added 36 years so if you do 65 plus 36 you get 101 years that's how vartak arrived at the estimate of 101 now you can say that's right or wrong you may like it you may not like it but now you see the evidence the interpretation the logic that was used to arrive at that number what i have done here is slightly different i said now who is saying this statement remember the mahabharat that has come to us is like after four or five different recensions mahabharat uh, vasa wrote mahabharata he taught his five disciples vaishampayan told to janmejaya there was a sauti romarshan sauti who is listening to that who goes to naimisharanya and with a shavnaka rushi and other rushis now he recites it again and that somebody documented that that comes to us so now here who is exactly saying this statement of course brahma is saying it or whoever is saying it but it is the vaishampayan it is the vaishampayan who is saying it so actually the statement is in a way documented long after the mahabharat war like say 80 years after that so now my interpretation see just if you can stay with me so what i said is that 65 years arjuna is carrying the bow although the statement is made in virata parva it truly referring to the total duration arjuna was carrying the gandiva dhanusha if you take this interpretation this is my interpretation then what happens so now we know exactly when arjuna gave up for gandiva dhanusha 5525 bc approximately but that's enough for us right and from there now we have to go backwards for 65 years and that gives us a estimate or a claim for the time of khandava vana dahan that comes to 5525 minus 65 understand how the bc math works bce before takes gives us to 5590 bc now how do we know that this is correct well we will we will never know anything for sure anything you know that's that's how the world works okay shankaracharya you know of course different context he says that right satyanrute dve mithuni krutya vartate loka yatra the common man's journey goes through satya and asatya you know the knowledge vidya avidya that's how the journey goes right but what i'm saying is does that 5590 make sense yes there are some other indicators we can make use of i'm not going to make it complicated for you one thing we know is that krishna arjun was definitely we have enough information in mahabharata to tell us that arjun was definitely older than 33 years so 33 years old plus when the khandavan dhan happened 
Now, if you take this, it comes to uh, 56, 33. So that's 33 years plus 10. So Arjuna, based on this, it comes to be around 40, 42, 43 years old when Khandavan Dahan occurred. So it makes sense. Okay. So we get some corollary or uh, what you call triangulation or validation. We can do that. So this is additional bonus. So quickly, let's add that to our uh, circle here. So 5590 BC, now we know additional information as the year of Khandav Vanadhan. I'm done. Quick summary. Krishna was born at the midnight of, uh, forgive me, that error there, uh, 17, 18 June, not 27, 28 June, 5633 BC. Krishna lived for 107 plus years. Krishna killed Kamsa when he was around 11 years old. Krishna and Arjuna cleared the Khandavana to establish Indraprastha in 5590 BC. Mahabharata war occurred in 5561 BC. Kaliuga began on the last day of the war, 2nd November 5561 BC. And flooding and destruction of Dwarka and Krishna's Parinirvana occurred in 5525 BC. If you want to know, read more about it, more of my work, these are the three books. If you are in India, the Grand Ganesha offer is extended to a Grand Diwali offer. So you can take my three books, but some other wonderful books by Dr. Shiva Shastri, Mitra Desai, Mangesh Anautar. Okay, so whole package, please enjoy it. If you are outside India, then Amazon is your choice. And that's how uh, you can procure those books if you are interested. So with that, I'll stop. Uh, Nilesh I have a short question and a short work of this. Uh, I want to ask that uh, there is any reference when did the Dwarka means Krishna went to the Dwarka. Is there a reference when Krishna went to the Dwarka? Good question. There are many references when Krishna went to Dwarka. Uh, and glad you ask because uh, going through the evidence from different places like Harivamsha, Vishnu Puran, uh, Bhagavat Puran, it is not very smooth uh, research to decide exactly he went. So we, it's not very easy to decide uh, when he exactly went to Dwarka. Uh, but yes, there are descriptions and many of them are actually a bit conflicting, contradictory descriptions. So it's very difficult to uh, separate the grains from the chaff. Nilesh, there is a similar question from Kamlesh Patel. Uh, hello, can you please throw some light on giving Krishna to Nand one place in Haribanch? Vasudev handed over in Mathura and did not travel to Gokul. Okay, so Kamleshji, that question, and uh, uh, when I mentioned it, I had also said, if you are taking notes, especially some people uh, who uh, see, I mean, those who read both Harivamsha and Bhagavad Puran, and they will see that the descriptions of uh, Vasudev taking Krishna to wherever, Vraja, Gokul, Ruddhavan, now, you know, there are, there are differences between these three places, but they are very close by. Uh, how do we reconcile? Well, sometimes we don't reconcile. You know, there is nothing to reconcile in some places. We comprehend. And what I mean by that is we have to go with the most plausible narrative. And also we have to ask the question, uh, what problem I'm trying to solve? Because, you know, just for the sake of knowing something doesn't make sense, right? So what problem I'm trying to solve? So now what Kamleshji asks is a great question. Harivamsha uh, description does not talk about Vasudev crossing the Yamuna river. It does not talk about the heavy rain. It does not talk about the heavy flood. In fact, it talks exactly opposite. So as if yes, Vasudev went from Mathura to the place of Nanda Yashoda, uh, walking on the 
bank of a Yamuna. That is the Harimosha description. Whereas in Bhagavad Puran, he totally crossed Yamuna. And those are exactly contradictory or conflicting with each other, right? So those are the descriptions. Uh, if you ask for my, um, what you can say, educated opinion, if you want to call it, I will go with the Harimosha description because it matches with uh, the, the bigger description, bigger evidence uh, coming from Mahabharata and everything else. There was a question from Lata Paulji. He uh, and he, she writes, "Isn't seventy-two too old to find fight a war?" Okay, great question. Is seventy? Isn't seventy-two very old to fight a war? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think so. I mean, if we look at ourselves, then yes. Now, if you look at the Mahabharata personalities, don't forget that Bhishma gave a tough time to Pandava army for the first ten days. And the, if we do a logical estimate based on whatever little evidence is available in Mahabharata, then we have to admit that Bhishma cannot be younger than 140 years at the time of the Mahabharata war. Okay, so there were uh, uh, Drona was 85 years old, and of course Bhima and uh, Yudhishthir are even older. But let me add something else. We'd, this is a good subject for original research, which means somebody must be willing to commit uh, rest of their life. Doesn't matter how old you are <laughs> to do just do this if you are serious about it. Otherwise, no point asking that question. Uh, in Mahabharat, we have a description where average age of a, a individual, like a human being, is stated as one hundred and twenty years. In fact, 120, whatever the Sanskrit word, you will see that many times, you know, and that was considered average age, like average longevity. But I will add something, one more thing. The context in which this 120 years is given as an average age is actually, I will not describe the context. I will encourage you to read Mahabharata. And so that is your motivation to go there. 120 is described as if it is on the lower side. Which is to say there were people who easily went above 120. So once, uh, if that descriptions we accept, then 72 looks like a um, young individual or at least a capable individual. Now think of it in our times with the modern times and the last, if you want to consider last thousand years uh, or last few hundred years, some of the developments in medicine and whatnot, or even the lifestyle. Uh, don't we say uh, now the 40 is a new 20, 50 is a new 20 and something like that. You know, as, as, as we get older, we keep on saying whatever old, however, howsoever old I am is like a new 20. You know, so I mean, jokingly saying that, but something like this, uh, I mean, we have to uh, do more research to understand why people in those times, 7,500 plus years could fight uh, even at the age of 70, 80s and even 140. We don't know the answer, but if we are truly curious, then we need to do original research. And we cannot just ask someone else to do it. We have to do it ourselves. Thank you. You know, when we were children, we were told these stories. So according to my grandmother, Sri Krishna died because there was some grass grown over there and everybody fought and rubbed that grass and they all died. And hmm. uh, the Pandavas walked to heaven. And hmm. I think Yudhishtha was the last to uh, survive right till the top. So hmm. is this, how did Sri Krishna die? Was it because of flooding or because of this grass or whatever we were told? Could you okay. clarify that, please? Yes, yes. Thank you. 
so the pandavas what you said is correct they went into himalayas okay mahaprasthana parva and one after another everyone started falling and so on so forth uh, you that's a very small parva you can actually read it in the mahabharata if required with the translation beautiful parva krishna not very clear information is given in the mahabharata other than the fact that krishna passed away uh, around the same time as the flooding and destruction of dwarka now in additional puranas you get some additional description and the typical when i say typical i mean something that's popular and almost known to everyone is that krishna was dejected after the yadus started fighting among each other he just left the place okay and then uh, it's sort of like in a frustrated uh, point you know it's a leela but first i mean for a for a bhakta it is a leela so i'm just saying you know whichever way you want to take it literally figuratively emotionally devotionally you decide but he was sitting under a tree and a uh, hunter uh, came and uh, krishna's moment he thought it is a moment of a deer or some animal and he threw the arrow it hits krishna's feet and that's how krishna passes away that is the katha i know nilesh mera question jo hai the question which i have got uh, is a journey from mathura to dwarka uh, krishna he was uh, a kid who was brought up in the villages like gokul and vrindavan and all those places and there was there must be some vision that he was like a leader who was taking people towards the city life mm -hmm. so how you see that krishna was one of the pioneer for the townships and the life towards the cities urban urban cities of that time okay you, you are yeah i got that question i think you are getting muted suddenly in between while you are saying but i i got your question i think i got your question uh so is krishna one of the pioneers uh, for urbanization you know in in the indian context uh krishna i would say uh was not the pioneer for a, a urban life although what you said is correct that from a mathura which was also a city uh, but maybe a smaller city he took them to dwarka the reason was totally different i'll briefly mention it but krishna was a social reformer i mean why is a, a purana why is a purana purush and yuga purush and purna avatar is because krishna did many amazing things for example think of uh, the uh, emphasis on a vegetarianism is krishna is uh, responsible for it uh, for example uh, sometime in a modern uh, uh, like west are trying to teach uh, us our history they they will make a claim that the uh, vegetarianism came only after it's like jainism and uh, buddhism in fact you will find the principles of jainism or even the because they are basically hindu dharma i mean these are same dharma sampradaya you will find the foundations of jainism is actually very old even the jain jain people will accept i mean shruti if she has learned she will she can enlighten us you know this going back because you are looking for that shramana dharma and that you can see it way back into all the way you know so therefore uh, mahavira they will connect to ikshvaku vamsha just like buddhism connects to ikshvaku vamsha and rama vamsha uh, back to this question of a cities uh, we have descriptions in uh, in uh, bhagavat puran of establishment of a city where now krishna established dwarka but that was also a city before pushasthali that can go as far back even based on archaeological evidence to 30000 years 
Okay. So Kushastri was a city, Mathura was a city, Hastinapur was a city, Jarasandha, you know, in the whatever the Jarasandha's capital was a big city. Now, reason Krishna moved from Mathura to Dwarka was a Jarasandha. Okay. And so what happens? Now, Krishna, the Dwarka's prosperity is because of a commerce. Okay. Now that's why the port city. So now from Mathura, how do you do the business? Okay. You are going through Yamuna and a Ganga and all the Bay of Bengal and then going around the world. Okay. Now in Patna or somewhere there, Jarasandha is controlling the port, <laughs> controlling the passageway. That was the, I mean, if you start looking into it, then everything falls in place. That is the reason there was a fight between the Yaduts and Jarasandha. And finally, Yadus realized that it's not easy to win against Jarasandha. Finally, Krishna found a way with a Bhima and I'll not go into that story. That's why they moved to uh, Dwarka. And what, was that Dwarka like a totally new place? Not really. It belonged to Yadu dynasty. If you go back from a Manus all the way to Anartha, to Revata, okay, the Revata established Kushasthali long time before Krishna. So Krishna in some sense rejuvenated. Uh, the description says Krishna found that island, you know, and then established that city. So Krishna definitely established a big city. That is correct. But I wouldn't say he was the first one. Not at all. I mean, Ayodhya. Talk about Ayodhya going back 14,000 years was a big city. And we have a long descriptions of Ayodhya as a city. So we don't have to get stuck into what Western uh, uh, Indologists like us to believe that only with the Mohenjo-Dona and Harappa, the cities began, you know, they know nothing. Thank you. Uh, Nileshji, a few days back, rather six months back, I was talking to some gentleman for some article to be written. And uh, I wanted that he should write an article over Krishna, the Krishna's as a social reformer and what Krishna did for the society. It happened to me that uh, the person there was a Gujar. And Gurjars, I don't know, he, he immediately said that there are the things which Krishna had not done good to. Hmm. So I just want to know what is that very thing which made him to say that as a Gurjar versus a Yadav or whatever. Okay, well, no, great question, Pavanji, but that is a question you need to ask him for explanation, not me, because I have no idea what led him to that answer. Thank you. This Dumra Ketu, the head to tail, the comet, you said it's the length was about 30 nakshatras, that is about 170 degrees of uh, the horizon. Now, depending upon the altitude, it would have taken some time. If it was nearer to the earth, then it would have just flashed by with a long tail from head to tail. If the altitude was higher, then it would take a much longer time for it to traverse from uh, one. From the from starting from one nakshatra to the other, depending upon altitude. I don't think uh, any is there any mention of the time it took from okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, so we are, let's uh, let's dissect this question for a bit. So uh, Ramaji, I mean you are mentioning the uh, alt, uh, the altitude, like how far it is from the Earth. Then you are mentioning the time for it to move. Uh, I would say that those both things, they are relevant for whatever things, they are not relevant at all in this particular observation. So let's go look at the comet. What happens? Actually, comet, I mean, so when I said the tail of the comet, I mean, the whole comet was expanded for the 13 nakshatra. It is only visual uh, thing for us. 
that is not to say that actually it was like literally there that long okay actually comet is what comet is a much smaller object uh, sometime it can be a, a kilometer even less than that two kilometers five kilometers not more than that okay and still it is very far away from the earth so we are even that altitude doesn't come in the picture how fast they travel also doesn't come in the picture so what happens is actually when the comet is not in the closer to the sun or when we see it from the earth uh, we will not see it. It is like very impossible to see literally, you know, like the without the telescopes and even then. So why do we see it? When it comes closer into the solar system and makes a circle around the sun and goes away, uh, what is a comet? It has got this mass, it has got ice and you know that ice is going away and that is getting reflected with the sunlight and that's why it becomes visible. So what we are seeing is just a visibility. It's not like a spread that long 17 nakshatra, number one. Second one, because we can only see it when it comes near the sun, the best time to see it is just before the, uh, just before the sunrise and just after sunset. Because that's only when it's visible, because it needs a sun reflected light or something for us to see it. It is relatively small object. And it is that snow or whatever, you know, it starts melting, you can say. Uh, it has got ice in it uh, because it goes far away and becomes cold. And because of the sun's heat, it's melting. It starts throwing those particulates and those particulates with the uh, whatever is there, you know, in the sun reflection. That's what it gives that shape. Now, how big or how small a comet would be seen from the Earth has nothing to do with how much material it has. I mean, it might have something to do with it, but it has to do with what angle it came uh, to the sun with respect to the Earth. What is the angle? So there are these many factors. So it is a, just a visual picture. It's like saying you go to a movie and on a 70 mm, whatever the big movie screen, uh, the movie actor or the actress, uh, they appear to us like uh, 10 feet tall, but they're not 10 feet tall. Think of something like this. It is just a visual effect that we are seeing. And so the visual effect that time described is like as if that uh, comet was covering the 13 nakshatra, nakshatra nam trayodasha, which is the whole visible sky. So it was, it must have been an extremely spectacular view because I know of, uh, I studied with this observation, I studied a lot of uh, cometary observations uh, and I talked to the individual people who have seen these comets like these people some of these people are old now and uh, when they said certain comet was great then I went and simulated that comment in astronomy and actually you find that comet was not that big but even they felt my god it looked so big as if it's going to hit the earth when it was not that big now in comparison to that just the simulation that I showed you it is so spectacular and just all we have to do is just to imagine what Andhaka would have seen and what he might be describing. Thank you. Uh, Nilishji, I have uh, another question uh, from Mahabharat uh, where Krishna demises, uh, starting Yudhishthir says that uh, before the demise of Krishna, there are meteorites falling in the northern and the eastern regions and the rivers are now drying up again and again. Uh, when I tried about to search there is any meteorite falls in 5561 BC. I didn't find any papers in that region. So, hmm. do you have found any corroborating evidence for this? Okay, great question. So, if I can repeat the question, so and, and just correct me there. So, stay in the unmute fashion for a minute. Uh, okay. So, Yudhishthir is talking about a meteorite shower uh, when Krishna is uh, time Krishna's time of passing away, and rivers are drying up. You said. 
yes yes uh, reverse okay. arm they were driving uh, and they were means what we can do shorten their lengths actually okay fine fine okay got it now so we have two pieces of claims here one is a meteoroid shower and another one is uh, reverse drying up hmm. now reverse drying up we have that evidence for yes. the entire mahabharata time we have that evidence i mean mahabharata claim is there for saraswati and other and we have a actual evidence uh, oh. you know uh, reverse saraswati but in general evidence before mahabharata after mahabharata you have to read my papers you have to read my talks and there are so many papers i'm telling you the number 50 plus unless you find 50 don't stop those many papers talking about this flux river in a flux so that is there now uh, i'll come to the second then come back to first now meteorite shower do you know something there is a torian meteorite shower every year okay as as the earth goes through the place goes through around the sun uh, wow. there are certain reasons i'm not going to technicalities there, there are meteorite shower all the time now do they happen in our times yes they happen in our times we don't see them because of the light pollution cities we are closed you know in, in a, we are too busy on our smartphone instead of looking at the sky even if we can look at the sky okay yes. but but they are there so the, the meteorite showers are there now okay rivers are drying in our times too if you realize what the problem is in india they were drying at that time there was a meteorite shower the reason i spent time on answering your question in a detailed way is this is for you but this is for everyone who might be listening also when we look at some evidence and we want to decide can i use this evidence to determine something that i want to know you have to pick a evidence which is also crisp and sharp in its nature like rivers drying up is something true now somebody could have said that is true 1000 years ago 2000 years ago 3000 years ago 4000 years ago it's a very relative thing to say rivers are drying up or rivers are flooding up meteorite shower is happening every year as i said torian shower not just one there are multiple so we have to have a more specific description in order to claim something okay so these both evidence we should not discount them but in the current state they are next to useless for any purposes and because i am saying next to useless doesn't mean you should take it but you can take it and say oh can i how can i make it testable because you have to show there is a meteor shower there but other times there is not then that evidence has a value just like that comet i showed that comet is there in 5622 bce but no other mahabharata researcher will able to show such a comet covering 13 nakshatras beginning with a bharani when krishna was 11 years old according to their calculation nobody will able to show it you understand yes this yes, is yes, that triangulation and so great question Uh, but those two evidences as i see it today with my limited understanding are not very useful in fact not useful at all as i see them nilesh uh, you mentioned 50 papers at least 50 papers which talk about rivers drying up are yeah. they all about river saraswati or there are other rivers no about the rivers rivers in india rivers around the world you know i mean uh, two uh, i just said 50 because uh, uh, vishnu vardhan i didn't want to make him work too hard uh there are actually 200 plus now you know usually i remain careful to say this do you know why because i say there are 200 papers next thing i say i have them then what happens i get a email please send those papers to me <laughs> you know i will be just busy doing that no i mean it's very easy go to google start doing it drying up rivers and something and vishnu is good at that right vishnu vardhan you actually go and find those papers yourself too yes. uh, sometimes so he I communicates with me yeah 
Yeah. I tried, but no, I didn't find any that. Okay, you you have to search harder, man. Okay. Very, very I can tell you there are two hundred papers. Thank you. 